Good morning, Scotts Hill family and all of you guys that are watching us online, wherever you are. My name is Jeff Poteet. I'm one of the pastors here at Scotts Hill. Uh, and it's a, it's a delight to be able to, uh, to have this opportunity and use this technology to share God's word with you. And at the same time, just to reiterate, our heart's desire is to gather with you and to see you on a regular basis and to encourage you to hear what God's doing in your life. And so uh, I just want you to know as pastors and as leaders, we are looking forward to and longing for the day that we can be together again. And, and we just look forward with, with expectation and anticipation at what God will do uh, in that time as he prepares us along the way. A couple of years ago, I read about uh, a unique kind of cruise. Uh, it's not really super popular anymore, um, but it was called a cruise to nowhere. And uh, I was intrigued by this, and so I, I wanted to learn what a cruise to nowhere was. And as I did a little bit of research, I came to find out that it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a cruise to nowhere. They start at a port, and they go out from this port out into the ocean on the boat. They travel around for a couple of days out in the ocean at sea, and then they return back to the same port that they left from. Now, on this cruise, there are, no, uh, there are no ports of call that they stop at. There's no opportunities for tourist attractions or engaging with local people. No, it's just a ship, it's just a people, and it's just water. And they cruise around, and they come right back to where they started. Maybe even in that, they have a newfound ability to tell their friends that they went on a cruise. But for all intents and purposes, it's a pointless endeavor. Maybe today you wonder if life is kind of like that, if the days that we are living in are moving towards something or, or are we just wandering around out in the ocean with no real purpose or plan, eventually returning back to where we started on our own cruise to nowhere. Now, I trust over the last few weeks as you've been with us studying in the book of First Thessalonians that you've come to understand that this is not the case, thankfully. Uh, we've learned as we've studied through this letter to the Thessalonians that God has a great plan for all of history, a direction in which everything is moving. And that direction is toward the revealing of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and as Lord of Lords. Not only this revelation of Christ, but also the gathering of his people around his throne to worship him for all of eternity. Uh, this, friends, is the great hope that we have as believers. And as we consider this reality, it also helps us to understand the context in which Paul is writing. The Apostle Paul has an overwhelming desire that these believers be prepared to meet Jesus on that day. And that when they meet him, that they wouldn't be ashamed to see him. It also helps us to see that this preparation for meeting Jesus always has a context. There will always be a situation in life, and, and most likely it's not one that would be ideal in our estimation, in which God will do this great work of transformation. For the Thessalonians, it was a culture that persecuted their faith in Christ and caused their walks to be difficult. For us today, it's a, a worldwide crisis that might be even exposing our faith and causing us to have difficulty in our walk. But the, the important piece in this letter is that Paul always has his eyes on two days. He has his eye on the day of the Lord in which all believers and all people around the world will see Jesus. And he also has an eye on the present day because he knows that what we do in our everyday is going to prepare us for that day. 
And it's in this context that the Apostle Paul gives these final words to the Thessalonian believers. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read verses 12 down through verse 28 this morning. Here the Apostle Paul writes this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are o- who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we encourage you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that it is the day that you have made and we pray that you would find us rejoicing in it. We thank you for your word that you've given it to us as a gift for us to to take in and to read and to study and to know. I thank you for uh, the communion of saints, even wherever we are, that we have a bond together in Christ. And I pray that this morning, this day, you would encourage us, you would challenge us, and you would convict us through your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now I'm sure that you noticed, like I did, as, as we read through that passage, something quite unique. The Apostle Paul gives several commands, but he doesn't go into much detail about them. He sends these commands in rapid fire succession, not taking much space with them, but using this space for extremely important final words. Recently, we had a situation similar to this. Now, it's not quite as as big as the last words that I might say to somebody, though maybe in our family it was close to that. You see, we had, um, we had an opportunity for our son Silas to be able to go spend some time with his friends. And, and, and they were going to be spending t- time together for an extended period of time in the afternoon. And, and they were going to have uh, dinner together. Silas was going to eat dinner with them. And not only were our friends going to have Silas and eat dinner with him, but, but they were also inviting some of their friends over to come and have dinner with them as well. Now, Silas, he's, he's our seven-year-old son. And, and he's a super cute kid, as you can see. And now, Miss Francis, we know that you love Silas, and, and Silas loves you, and he's excited to get back to Kid Street and be able to, to encourage and, and minister to you. But, but Silas, he doesn't have the best track record of being responsible with some of his life choices. Take, for example, Mother's Day 2017. Yes, moms, I know that you just gasped. You just said, oh, my goodness, what did he do He was just trying to make sure everything was right. He was trying to have the perfect haircut for that day. So 
You can imagine that as we sent him off into uh, this opportunity with his friends, our counsel to him goes uh, something like this rapid fire succession that the apostle Paul gives. We, we wanna make sure that he's prepared and really in reality, we wanna make sure that we're not super embarrassed uh, at the report that we get when he comes home. So the things that we said to him are, Silas, make sure you clear your place after dinner. Silas, make sure you ask to be excused whenever dinner's over. Silas, make sure you obey all the directions that, that they give you. And Silas, eat whatever they give. Whatever they give to you, make sure that you eat it and you say thank you. Use your yes sirs and no sirs. Use your yes ma'am and no ma'am. Be a peacemaker. All these things that we have taught him over and over. We wanted to send him off with these last final instructions so that he would be able to accomplish what, uh, what he needed to be able to do in that moment. We sent him off with these last instructions because we knew that once he was there, once he was out of our oversight, the only thing that he was gonna have with him from us was the information that we gave him before he left. I'm sure most all of you can remember something like this, some last words that you have received. Maybe they were from your parents when they dropped you off at college. Maybe it was from a, a coach or a beloved teacher. Maybe it was from a, a grandparent uh, who gave you words of advice and encouragement that were supposed to set you up for the future. Maybe it's you even today as a parent. You're giving those last words to your children as you seek to help them grow and be all that God wants them to be. The same is certainly true for the Apostle Paul. He wrote to church after church after church, not knowing if he was ever going to be able to see them again. So the words that he wrote, he always wrote in a measured way to accomplish and to communicate the things that were most important for them. And here we see that Paul's words put a high priority on our life together as a body of believers. And I believe now more than ever, this is a timely message for us as a body. If there has ever been a time for us as a body to recapture God's vision for us to take care of one another, it's now. Why is that? Because the longer we are encouraged or required to participate in social distancing, the easier it is for us to become spiritually disconnected. If we're honest, receiving content delivered right to our home whenever we want it from a variety of pastors and teachers without the cost of real relationships makes Christianity pretty easy, doesn't it? So how is it today that we can help each other be ready for that final day? And I believe it's really an understanding how God has designed each part of his body to work together to accomplish the goal. And the first thing we see in this passage is that God has given pastors to lead the way. God has given us pastors to lead the way. Notice what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I love how the Apostle Paul starts his thoughts here uh, with the word that has become a common word throughout this letter and all of his letter, the word brother. All through his letters, he writes to those who receive them as his very own family. Through this, he's reminding us over and over and over. He's saying, guys, we belong to the family. We belong to the family. You're not an outsider who's looking in at the family activities. No, if you are in Christ, you are part of the family. Jesus 
has purchased your acceptance into this family. And because you are a member, God desires you to be present in the life of the family. He desires you to be present in the life of the family. And here the apostle Paul reminds the believers that one of the greatest benefits of being invested and involved in the life of the church, in the family of God, is that he has gifted people to provide care, leadership, and protection for us. And friends, this is a good thing. This is God's grace to us. You see, pastors are working with God to prepare his people to meet him. The Lord has given his church leaders whose responsibility is to guard the flock. And we see the apostle Paul writing this to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says this, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, the leaders in the church lead not for themselves, but for the Lord who has called them into his service. Because this is the case, pastors exhaust themselves. They labor among the people. They make decisions. They exercise leadership and oversight. They admonish, they teach, they instruct. So that the goal of Christ, presenting his body to himself without spot or blemish is accomplished. Pastoral ministry is not a way for people to get famous simply because the vocation of the minister is always to point the direction of the people away from himself. It's to point them to one who can truly satisfy the longings of their heart, to point them to the great shepherd, to Jesus himself. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians chapter one, verses 28 and 29. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And the apostle Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you have leaders among you who are doing this very thing. And as pastors lead the way, as they fulfill the calling that God has given, as they use the gifts that they've been given, we see the environment that God desires for them to minister in. It's one of mutual love and encouragement. Here, friends, is the responsibility of us as members of the church. And we know this to be the case because Paul encourages them to respect or appreciate their leaders and to esteem them very highly in love. You see, because the church is a family where all the members of God are equal in Christ, but have been given different gifts based on God's good pleasure, the same encouragement that we expect to receive from pastors, we are called to reciprocate to pastors. As they lead well, as they are encouraged, the body benefits. So why wouldn't we encourage them and come alongside them to see the mission accomplished? As I stated earlier, one of the most difficult things for us as pastors in these days is the loss of connection with the people that God has entrusted to us to lead and to labor among and to teach. We all absolutely love seeing you on a regular basis. We love hearing what God's doing in your life. We love hearing you worship and engage in worship and we love to see you love others through service. So what are some ways that we can apply this even today, right where we are? One, I would encourage you to pray for your pastors as they seek to faithfully lead during this time. Pray for 
your pastors. This is one of the greatest ways that you can encourage them. Something else you can do is, is to let us know how you're doing and how we can pray for you. Utilize text messages or email to send us a note. Say, hey, can you pray for me in this? Or this is something great that God is doing in our lives as we seek to faithfully follow him during this time. These are ways in which we can encourage and challenge each other as a family. One last thing is this. There's a tendency for us, and I say us because I'm including myself in this number, to say I can have church wherever, whenever, and from whatever pastor I want. And then I can just go about my day uh, in any way that I please. Friends, there's a reason that Paul encourages us to be involved in the local church. You see, there are shepherds who God has specifically entrusted and given gifts for your good, Scottsdale. So let's be careful not to remove ourselves from the context of pastors who desire to shepherd and lead and encourage us in Christ. I would encourage you even today to begin praying about the opportunities that you'll have as we can gather together again in the future. Not only has God in his grace given us pastors to lead the way, he's also given us other brothers and sisters in Christ so that we help each other along the way, so that we help each other along the way. To be sure, the people of Thessalonica were like we are, a bunch of people who aren't perfect. Now, I want you to do is this. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want, to say, I want you to say to them, you're not perfect. <laughs> Felt pretty good, didn't it? Maybe some of the first time that you've been able to say that to somebody. Now, what I want you to do now is look at them and say this, neither am I, neither am I. Because the truth is, in every family and in every church, we find a mixture of people that aren't perfect. Each of them has a disposition. Each of them has some quirks. Each of them has some sin struggles. Not everyone struggles with the same things in the same way, but the reality is that we all struggle in some way. And as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the distinct privilege of helping each other in the midst of whatever issues we deal with in our everyday lives so that we can be the version of us that most pleases Christ. You see, for the believers in the body of Christ, it's not just what we can get from the body, it's what we can give to the body. How can we invest our lives for the good of others? And in this passage, we see a few ways in which the apostle Paul talks with them about their investment. The first way that he, see, he, he teaches us is that we invest by faithful, personal ministry. We see this in, in verses 14 and 15, where the apostle Paul says this, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Friends, today God is calling us to dive into relationships. Now, you might say, well, I can't do that. You can. It might look different than it did six months ago, but the call is still the same. God is calling us to invest in personal ministry. Sure, there are going to be some challenges. Sure, there are going to be some obstacles that we have to overcome. But God's will for us is to in, engage in personal ministry. We even see that Paul addresses that here in the life of the Thessalonians. He talks with them about the reality that their ministry, though it is necessary, will require some discernment. Uh, we see in the passage that, that there are going to be people among you that are, are boundary pushers or the idol. 
They're like a soldier who, who wants to always get out of line and go their own direction. But in this, God calls us to gently, caringly, patiently warn them of the danger that lies ahead if they keep going in their own direction. We also see in this passage that some are huddle and hiders or the faint-hearted. The literal word here for, uh, for the faint-hearted is little-souled. In contrast to the idle who seek to go their own way, these, these folks huddle in the middle. They're fearful of what is happening. They want a risk-free life, a risk-free ministry that's safe and absolutely secure. God calls us to encourage them, he, to encourage them to trust him and to walk in boldness and confidence in his character and in his word. And we also have in our midst the frequent failures or the weak. These are people who are susceptible to falling back into patterns of sin. Uh, they have a hard time abandoning sin and obeying God's will. God calls us in this to hold fast to the weak. Uh, the sense is for us to keep ourselves directly opposite of them in order to sustain them in their journey. Now, we must be discerning as it relates to our investment in personal ministry, but there's one disposition that we must embody regardless of our context, and that word is patience. We see that in this passage, and for you at home, this is a quality that God, even right now, is probably sharpening and sanctifying you in. As you seek to keep your kids all uh, huddled around the computer or the TV, watching and encouraging them, God is developing, even in you right now, this character quality, this fruit of the Spirit that he wants to see in us. God calls us to practice patience with one another. It is a, a fruit of the Spirit, and it is a, a great reminder to us of God's great patience with us. And as we are walking together with patience and encouraging each other and faithfully investing in personal ministry, it exemplifies the character and essence of Christ. Friends, because we are all in this together, our aim should be to pursue what is best for our brothers and sisters. Our primary concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ should be their spiritual welfare, even those who have sinned against us. And this extends not just to the family of faith, but we see in this passage that we are to do good to everyone. And that means your neighbor down the street. It means the elderly neighbor that you can minister to even today. God might be calling you to do good to them by seeking to meet some need of theirs in this particular time. As I thought about this passage, an illustration or a story came to mind. Uh, it's a story of two brothers. They're, they're triathletes, they're runners, and uh, it's the story of the Brownlee brothers, Johnny and Alistair. Now, now Johnny Brownlee is, is the younger brother, and they were competing together in a race. It was a triathlon. They were on the last leg of this triathlon, uh, which involved the run. And, and Johnny was leading the way. He was, he was a couple of hundred yards out in front of everybody else, and he was on pace to win. He only had about 100 yards to go when something devastating happened. His body, as you can see in this picture, began to fail. He could no longer make any movements forward. He was not going to finish the race. He was not going to win first place. All the effort that he had put into preparing was going to be for naught, except that his brother Alistair 
was only about 200 yards behind him, competing for second place at the time. He was in a a race with the third place competitor. And as Alistair came around the corner to see his brother's body failing, instead of running on ahead and winning the race, which he could have done, Alistair stopped. He put his brother's arm around his neck, allowed the other guy to go ahead and win the race, but he ran with his brother, arm over his shoulder the rest of the way, essentially carrying his brother to the finish line. The great part of the story is not only did he carry him to the finish line, he actually pushed his brother across the finish line first so that both brothers finished the race. This brother, Alistair Brownlee, gave up his shot at winning the race to ensure that his brother finished the race. How amazing would it be to a watching world if the picture of the church was this kind of sacrificial, mutual help and love to the extent that we cared so much about our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would be willing to sacrifice so that they would make it to the end, so that they would stand before Jesus, complete, beautiful, and blameless in his sight. Friends, it's easy to distance ourselves when times are good. When things are going well, it's easy to distance ourselves. It's even easier whenever they're not going well. Because let's face it, guys, people are messy. Situations are messy. And as we consider the next few months, I wanna encourage you, don't sacrifice the messiness of ministry for the efficiency of being absent. Don't sacrifice the messiness of ministry for the efficiency of being absent. It's certainly easier not to get involved in the life of the church. It's easier not to get invested in the lives of other people, but it's also not the best for you or for the body. God has designed the church to be the place where brothers and sisters in Christ with each other's greatest good in mind, patiently, painfully, lovingly guide one another toward our great shepherd. But this falls in direct contrast to our culture. The popular catchphrase and mantra of our day is this, you do you. We've seen it even in the midst of this pandemic with with spring breakers who are unwilling to listen to the counsel of people and saying, we're just gonna do what we want to do. Don't tell us anything different. Friends, this is not a New Testament concept. No, the New Testament concept is this. You do Jesus, believer, And if you don't, I'll help you get back going in the right direction. This doesn't mean that we take the place of the Holy Spirit, but it does mean that we take responsibility for our family members. Not simply so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great a job I did in helping them. No, we wanna wanna encourage them and we want to look one day and say, man, look how much that brother or sister looks like Jesus. Look how much work God has done in their lives. And now look how they reflect him more faithfully to a watching world. Let's make it our goal, even today, even where you are, to help each other be ready to meet him and not be ashamed. A couple of ways that we can apply this even today. Number one, I would encourage you to start praying for the day in which we can meet together again. Pray that God would give you a heart and a desire and a zeal to meet with your brothers and sisters again 
in corporate worship. And also now look for ways to connect. There are a variety of ways that we have made available to you on our website where you can go and, and say, I want to get connected and we can help you get involved in the life of a group. Just because we're disconnected uh, in distance doesn't mean we have to disconnect spiritually and relationally. And not only do we do this by personal ministry, but we invest by prioritizing personal devotions. Or to put it another way, don't allow an interruption in your daily rhythm to disrupt your relationship with God. Don't allow an interruption in your daily rhythm to disrupt your relationship with God. Now, we all live in particular rhythms of life. We have a daily rhythm that we are involved in. Maybe for you it's to get up and and get a cup of coffee and spend time reading your Bible and praying and then getting ready for the day and going to work and doing all those things. But have you ever noticed that when your daily rhythm gets interrupted, everything's thrown off? Maybe it's the day whenever you have an earlier than expected meeting. Or maybe for you parents is a day whenever your your kid is sick throughout the night and, and you don't get enough rest. Or maybe now, in our context, you're home for extended periods of time that you didn't expect to be there. Maybe for you parents, you're learning to homeschool your children or to school them at home uh, in a context which you had never expected to do before. Maybe it's just that you can't interact with people outside and this is driving you crazy. But friends, everything can be thrown off. And one of the first things we put, tend to put to the wayside is our spiritual lives, our personal devotion time with the Lord. But here in this passage, Paul reminds us that there are rhythms that we should consistently have as characteristics of our lives, regardless of our circumstances. And they're all directly related to our relationship with God. We see in verses 16, 17, and 18, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The overarching rhythm of our life should reflect a joy-filled, prayer-saturated, thankful outlook. Can you imagine a more helpful word for us today? As we look around, as we look through our world, and as we hear perspectives, we could easily be led to a despairing, distant, and grumbling outlook. And for most of the world, that's where they are. And as they look at the church, for most of them, these three responses, rejoice, pray, and give thanks, seem like madness at worst and ignorance at best. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, they are a grace-given reality. Because you see, these three words, in Christ Jesus, change everything for us. If you're in Christ Jesus, listen to what it means for you. John Piper has 13 of these ways. I'm gonna give you six right now. In Christ Jesus, you were given grace before the world was created. In Christ Jesus, you were chosen by God before creation. In Christ Jesus, you are loved by God with an inseparable love. In Christ Jesus, you were redeemed and forgiven for all your sins. In Christ Jesus, you are justified before God. And the righteousness of God in Christ is given to you. In Christ Jesus, you have become a new creation and a son of God. Because of these things, because we are in Christ Jesus, we have a constant fountain of joy that flows from what we continually know to be true about God and about our eternal saving relationship with him, regardless of our circumstances. Because we are in Christ Jesus, we pray knowing that we have the ear of a gracious father 
who has sent his own son to die for us so that we could be adopted into his very own family. And as a son or daughter, we know that his desire for us is good. And that in asking, not only do we have the ear of a gracious father, but we have the ear of the sovereign ruler of the universe who can accomplish anything and everything in his will. Because we are in Christ, we give thanks. Because the worst imaginable thing that could happen to us The curse of sin and death and being separated from God has been abolished in our lives. So that no matter what circumstance we face, no matter what trial we are in the midst of, they seem light and momentary compared with the eternal weight of glory that God is giving to us that's beyond all comparison. Now I recognize for some of you watching even right now, this is not your reality. You are fearful, you are despairing, and you are hopeless. I just want to remind you that it begins with your relationship with God. For some of us, we've forgotten what it means to be in Christ. We've forgotten the reality of, of all that that means for us. So this week, I would encourage you to take some time to look at the devotional stuff that we'll have online that talks about what it means to be in Christ as a reminder to us that God, in his grace, has brought us into his family and is accomplishing something through this. For some of you, you've never, you've never made that commitment to be in Christ. You're trying to face this situation and every other situation in life apart from a saving relationship with God. Today, that can be different for you. You can admit that you have lived your life rejecting God as ruler over it. You've sought to live life your own way and you have sought to be the king. And, and even right now, even right where you sit, you know as you look out across the world that that's not going to work, that you can't even manage getting away from a virus on your own. Because of this, because of your desire to rule your own life your own way, God, as the rightful ruler, has told us that we deserve a a rightful judgment from him as a holy God. But God in his grace sent Jesus to die in the place of rebels like you and like me, to take the judgment that we deserve so that we could have forgiveness of sins and the perfect obedience of Jesus. And he, he ratified it, or he shows it to be true because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. This can be yours today. By turning from your sin and self-rule, by trusting in Jesus' work, and by surrendering your life to him as Lord. How is it that we know all these things to be true? It's by our devotion to the word of God. We see in 1 Thessalonians 19 uh, through 22, he says this, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now more than ever, God is calling us to meet him in his word. Most likely for you today and in this season, you're not going to uh, have any other time in life where the external demands on your time will be less than they are today. For some of us, that might be discouraging. You're, maybe you're extroverted and you're like, I want to go and I want to do something else than be at home. But let's take this as God's grace to us. Right now, even in the silencing of your schedules, God is still speaking. He is not silent. And he says to us, Come to me, meet me in my word and let my spirit speak to you from it. Let him shine and burn 
within you. Don't put out his influence in your lives. And as God speaks to you in his word, he will speak to you right where you are. But not only will he do that, but he will help you make sense of the world around you. You'll be able to discern the news that floods all of your feeds, whether it's your news feed, whether it's your social media feed. Knowing God's word will help you discern the things that you are reading about. It will keep you from either accepting everything on the one hand or rejecting everything on the other hand. It'll give you a filter through which you can hear information and discern whether it's something that you should embrace or something that you should cast away. And I'm not just talking about news information because friends, there is there's a lot of, of junk out there today that passes for Christian teaching. God's word will help you hold fast to the things that will build up your faith, encourage you to walk faithfully with Christ and allow you to cast away the things that are merely self-help or pseudo-Christian in their teaching. And friends, this is a reality for us. The things that we embrace will eventually embrace us. And they're going to lead us either towards God or away from God. Samuel Smiles puts it this way. He says, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Let's be careful during this time to sow the word of God into our lives so that as we walk together, our lives reflect the very essence of Christ. The thoughts that we have are the very thoughts of Christ. Now, it's great news that God has given us such gifts in the life of the church for our good and for our growth, but here's the best news of all, and the certain confidence that we have is ultimately that God completes the way. God completes the way. Notice how he says it in verses 23 and 24. He says it in the form of a prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. What God promises, he accomplishes. This is great news because it gives us confidence in the midst of trying times. God's promises to us are not based on circumstances but they're based on his unchanging character. So we know without a shadow of a doubt that he will finish what he started. We see this in Philippians chapter one. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This can be a challenge for us today because what God promises isn't what we always wished he promised. We wish he would promise us safety and security from sickness. We wish he he would promise us that our resources would never decrease, but that's not what he promises here. What he promises far outweighs the things that we could ever wish for. His promise to you is sanctification. And that's a big word that means he's going to make you like Jesus. Not just now, but forever. He is committed to making you look more and more like Christ. And he uses every resource in the universe to show this commitment. He promises that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. He will never let go of us. Even in the midst of trials, God upholds us. And our security is not in on how how fast we can hold to God, but in the fact that he holds fast to us. He will never let go. When God calls you, he keeps you. When he saves you, he sanctifies you. 
We can have complete assurance today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year that he will finish what he started. No virus can stop that. It only serves his purpose in making us more like Christ. So brothers and sisters, as we close our study of 1 Thessalonians, let's remember that as our world moves toward the revelation of Jesus Christ, God calls us as his people to live distinctly faithful in this world. He calls us to care for one another along the way so that each one of us makes it blameless to the end. And at the same time, God promises to accomplish the salvation of his people, guaranteeing it not by their works, but by his own character and his own name. With that in mind, brothers and sisters, let us live faithfully. Let us live expectantly. Let us live boldly as we await the appearing of our great and sovereign king. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that even now that it would take root in our hearts. I pray for us as we walk through these times that we would see these as opportunities to develop the very character and nature of Christ in our lives so that whenever this is over, the church will shine even brighter than it has before. Oh God, we know this is your will for us in Christ. And so we pray that you would help us, help us to see the times in which you change us and mold us and shape us as for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.